0: Hey, everybody, this is Tom Salemi of Device Talks. Welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly Podcast. This is coming to you super late. I'm very sorry about that. Honestly, bit off more than I could chew with this episode, but it's a it's a tasty morsel, I'll tell you that. We uh, are focusing on the finalists of the MedTech Innovator Project, and uh, they'll be presenting at Advamed. So uh, our friend Paul Grant of the MedTech Innovator reached out, asked if we could talk to all 10, and uh, I love working with those Folks, so uh, I couldn't say no. So Kaylin and I took half. She spoke with five. I spoke with five. We'll run 10 interviews, about five minutes apiece, give or take, uh, in this uh, episode. But uh, the real vote will happen at AdvoMed. Uh, the details are in this episode. Before we begin, I wanted to remind you that Device Talks West is happening on October 18th and 19th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. Here's my Boston accent. I'm tired. It's late Friday at the Santa Clara Convention Center. And I uh, would love to see you there. It's, uh, it's a great program. Go to devicetalks.com. Check out the uh, speaker list. I had a great call today with Julie Tyler of Avid Vascular. Excited about her opening keynote interview with me. And uh, we've got much, much more uh, to go on that's going on over those two days. And I honestly don't want you to miss it. It's, uh, it's a great opportunity for all the device talkers and folks in the med tech community to get together. And uh, I really hope to see you there. If you are going, please, as always, as I always say, say hello, stop me. Uh, I'd love to uh, meet you and hear your story. If you are going uh, and you haven't registered yet, use the code DTW25 to save 25% off the registration price, which is only six ninety five. dollars But hey, we're, we're givers here at Device Talks. Uh, that's it. Enjoy this episode of the Device Talks weekly podcast. Do tune in on uh, Tuesday. We've got a great Device Talks Tuesdays coming up. You can also find details on that at devicetalks.com. All right, let's get this podcast started. All right, you ready for this? Ready. Brown, great to have you back in the podcast.
1: Always great to be here, Tom.
0: Oh, it's and it's wonderful to have our old pal Paul Grand of MedTech Innovator back. Paul, welcome back to the Device Talks Weekly podcast.
2: Thanks, Tom. Thanks, Kayleen. Great to be here.
0: Uh it's gonna be a, a, an important conversation. We're gonna be talking about your uh your your big doings uh, in a couple of weeks at the admin meeting. Uh why don't you well, why don't you tell us where we're at right now? What what did you announce? Yesterday, this is September 29th, Friday, when we're recording this. Yesterday, you announced, what'd you announce?
2: We announced the finalists in the two competitions that we're going to be holding at the AdvaMed MedTech Conference, which I believe, as you know, is October 9th through 11th in Anaheim. So it's coming up real soon. Um, We have two competitions there, the Execution Award and our Grand Finals Competition, uh so uh we'll talk more about the companies in that, but it's 10 companies out of thousands that applied this year.
0: All right, fantastic. It's a it's a huge undertaking. I know we've sort of gone through the 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 nitty and the gritty of how you folks get all these companies together. Uh before we get into into this particular program and start reviewing uh the companies, we've interviewed 10 companies, Kaylin and I for uh, for today's episode. So there's going to be 10, uh, probably three to four, four to five minute uh, uh, conversations with each of the founding CEOs, the startup CEOs. So it was a lot of fun. Kaylin, I know you, you and I both have an affinity for startups.
1: Startups are the best part of the ecosystem, in my opinion. The passion, the enthusiasm, the willingness to go above and beyond. I mean, it's pretty unparalleled.
0: Absolutely. Paul, I'm sure you're pretty fond of them as well.
2: I'm very fond of them. <laughs> you know, I love I love startups. Um, that's that's my job. <laughs> that's why we named our company MedTech Innovator because it's all about the innovators. And as one of our strategic partners said uh, several years ago, they said they look back at um, every single one of their products, and without exception, they could be traced back to an acquisition. So uh, these startups are pretty important.
0: Wow. That's fantastic, all right, so uh, quickly just set the scene for us uh, at avmed. what will uh, what will selecting the the finalists look like?
2: so here's here's a, a little bit of again, we know what this process was. So we had thousands of companies um, that applied to be part of Medtech innovator. We chose forty one early stage companies and twenty companies that were later stage companies to be part of our accelerator. Um, when I say we, I mean our strategic partners chose those companies. They were mentored by those strategics um, over a four-month period who worked very closely with the companies. Um, so this is this is almost like a light corporate accelerator in that way. Like they actually got to work directly with leadership at those strategics. Um, after that process, the strategics nominated their favorites for these two competitions. And when I say favorites, I mean, they are nitpicking here. These companies are all incredible. Mm-hmm. So to, to pick the, uh, the, the ones for the finals is very difficult. in these two finals competitions, um, we tell them, we give them extremely high bars to do that. And we say, you know, we can only put 10 companies on this stage between these two competitions. And they came back with 25 companies. So that you can imagine, so you have rock,
0: rock, paper, scissors, and uh, and that's how you came up with the ten.
2: Almost, almost. It's better, but but it's it's way better than that. So so imagine again. These are like senior vice presidents at you know companies like J and J and Edwards and and uh, you know Olympus and, and Dexcom and so on. These are people sitting there going, sitting in a room uh, virtually, as we're doing right now, um, and they're championing their companies. They're getting up and saying, okay, I mentored this company, and I think they're fantastic, and here's why. And they're not just talking about the innovator themselves. They're talking about the opportunity, You know what the impact is going to be on patients and so on. Um, really passionate people who are, who are there championing these startups, which is really pretty incredible. And then they have to convince the other strategics to vote for their favorites so again out of 25 they had to get it down to 10 um, which as you can imagine that's a lot of fun listening to that conversation we get down to the final 10 which is really heartbreaking because there were four companies that were tied for a fifth slot in the finals Um, and by the way not all five of those companies made it into the execution award, which we'll talk about more in detail in a minute. So so those companies were all selected and we get down to these 10 and um, and then we put them up on the stages at the Med conference. So this is the MedTech conference. Um, our two competitions are on October 10th. Um, the execution award is at 830 in the morning as part of what they call the Excel Leadership Forum. And the finals will be at 4 p.m. Um, on the main stage in front of everybody. You know, the senior leadership of the entire industry will be sitting there looking up at these companies, um, the CEOs of all these major companies that are on the Advent board will be voting along with everybody else for the winners. And we always people always say to us, how can you trust an audience to give away a half a million dollars? And and we say, well, I mean, the the easy the easy part for us is that any of these companies are you know could win, and we'd be thrilled. Um, there's not one company we're like, oh my god, it's got to be that company. It's got to mm-hmm. be that company. Um, any of them. If any of these companies win, we are thrilled. They all equally deserve to win. And as I mentioned, there were at least another four that were tied. For a spot in the finals, um, every one of the finalists um, there's a prize, and we'll talk about the prizes in a minute. But um, every one of the finalists gets a prize, um, and all and all the companies in the execution world are competing for a prize. Um, so uh, there's a lot at stake. Excellent.
0: And I'm just just curious, your description of, of the uh, the meeting where the the finalists are chosen and the advocacy of the strategics. At first blush, I thought it sounded maybe similar to partners meeting at a venture capital firm, although that I'm sure is the less of a head to head kind of choose this over that sort of discussion, although maybe there's some of that. But in this debate, are are you arguing that this company will have a greater clinical impact or that this company will achieve a greater financial return or is it a blend of both?
2: It is a blend of both. Okay. So, you know, we're looking for both. We're looking for clinical impact. We're looking for um economics. Uh, we're looking for, you know, is the is the reimbursement and other things in place, or is there a really great evidence generation plan in place for these companies to to demonstrate their value propositions sufficiently so that these products will be purchased um, and many, many other things. Um, You know, you have to remember these companies span the gamut of everything from digital health to diagnostics to devices. Mm -hmm. Um, So some of these companies have, you know, very, very, very different business models. And, you know, you really have to understand that it is very much like a venture capital meeting, as you described, um, like an investment committee we sit there and we talk about all the same points that we would at a, at a venture firm. If we were evaluating these companies, um, there's no question that that's part of the discussion. Um, But it does go beyond that. You know, sometimes it's about, you know, as you'll see, as we talk about some of these companies, they're not always the obvious one where you're like, Oh my God, of course that's the one. But when you hear the story, you're like, yes, that's, there's no question. This company should be on the final stage. I think a lot of us felt that way last year um, when FIEX was one of the companies, you know, that, you know, is, uh, you know, with a sterilization technology mm-hmm. is up, uh, up against heart valves and all sorts of other things that you might go, Oh, the direct patient impact of a heart valve. I mean, I mean, how can you compare that to, you know, a better way of sterilizing devices, but boy, was that impact very clear when CL presented it. So, you know, you never know who's going to win.
0: And CLT will be at device talks West, which is happening on October 18th and 19th at the Santa Clara convention center. We'll have a panel on sterilization. And yes, she is, she's fantastic. So good choice there. So Paul, let's get into the, uh, into the first group, the Execution Award. What is the Execution Award and what is at stake?
2: All right. So the Execution Award recognizes strong leadership teams with next generation innovations and the resources to successfully execute their goals of improving patient care. So they have to have... All the value proposition points that you think they might have, plus they've convinced us that they are able to execute, and, and they've demonstrated that ability.
0: All right. So, and what is at stake? What will the winner receive?
2: So, the winner of the execution award receives a twenty-five thousand dollar prize.
0: Okay, fantastic. Well, that'll be helpful. Well, let's. We we listed as I said at the top. Kaylin and I got on Zoom calls with each of the CEOs or founders, talked about four or five minutes. We had the same questions. For the most part, what is your healthcare problem? What is the technology you're using to solve that problem? And then if there was room for follow-up, we ask follow-ups about clinical trials and things like that when necessary, just to kind of fill out the picture. So, listing, uh, going alphabetically, Paul, why don't you uh, introduce us to the first uh, the first company, the first of five companies up for the Execution Award.
2: All right. Our first candidate. In the execution finals is HyperVision Surgical in the United Kingdom. Um, They're developing an advanced computer-assisted imaging and tissue analytics platform.
1: I had the pleasure of interviewing uh, the CEO and co-founder, Michael Ebner of HyperVision Surgical. And Paul, I have to tell you, it was very obvious why uh, HyperVision Surgical is up for the execution award. Next up, we'll hear from MedTech Innovator Execution Finalist, Michael Ebner, CEO and co-founder of HyperVision Surgical. Michael, welcome to the podcast.
3: Yes, of course. Uh, obviously, it's a great pleasure uh, being here and uh, have the opportunity speaking to you.
1: Michael, can you help our listeners understand what health problem HyperVision Surgical is trying to solve?
3: Yes, uh so- of like surgery, the common goal is always to make sure as well that patient safety is, of course, very high and sort of precision in, in the removing disease tissue is, is also incredibly high. The reality is, though, like if you have to operate on a millimeter precision level, it's very difficult for surgeon, even for highly experienced ones, to always differentiate in between, say, kind of like healthy tissue to, say, tumor tissue. And if they don't get this decision right, that means complication for the patient. For example, if you take out healthy tissue that May may be know function of the patient. Think of brain tissue, where, of course, if you take too much, well, if you take healthy tissue away, it means it has an impact on on sort of patient outcomes very heavily and and quality of life for the patient following surgery. But it's also very much where other other procedures like colorectal surgery, where it's about identifying diseased part of the bowel due to, say, cancer. And then it's about uh, identifying safe regions around the tumor, resected parts, and join healthy bowel again. And then the goal is for a surgeon to understand is that bowel tissue now well perfused as in like is there enough blood supply for it to heal and with a naked eye surgeon cannot always reliably gauge that so what we're trying to do is again providing an objective understanding to the surgeon to really help him or her understand is it not a bowel well perfused can it heal well and hence can also the patient yet yeah, recover well and uh, unfortunately across procedures we talked about too for neurosurgery And colorectal surgeries or bowel surgery, there is like, unfortunately, even for most experienced surgeons, complications can range from very minor to unfortunately also like major, which may require repeat surgery, et cetera, really ranging from 5% to 10, 20%, depending on the procedures. So it's really a high need to improve understanding of tissue and hence give a surgeon more confidence in, in, in making the right choice when it really matters.
1: So it sounds to me like it's more of a limitation. How is hypervision surgical attempting to overcome that limitation and help empower surgeons?
3: So we work with a technology that is called hyperspectral imaging. So it's really a technique that captures light that is invisible to the human eye, but incredibly useful to characterize tissue effectively. So basically what it does is It captures, it slices up the spectrum of light into so many different wavelengths that we can now use to characterize and analyze tissue. For example, by having now a fingerprint of tissue, we can now say whether it's now healthy tissue, whether it's like brain tissue, for example, whether it's a tumor tissue, but also we can understand function of it. For example, how well perfused is the tissue, so the oxygenation and deoxygenation content, which is a hallmark as well of you know viability of tissue and how well it can heal. So think of it as a layer of, we provide now a surgeon with so much more augmented insights into tissue that really goes far beyond human vision of color. That is what we, uh, or the surgeon, have to navigate and make decisions on because often color is not enough. Color by itself doesn't always give you those right cues to reliably make judgment calls. But we provide now a digital layer on top of it that can now say, well, you know, here an oxygenation level of 85% at that particular location, versus in other ones it's much less. So it really helps them to gauge, okay, this is now a safe region to, to dissect, to remove bowel, versus in the other one, it would would not be and may not heal well. So all of this is provides transparency, provides objectivity, provides a quantitative means to 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 help surgeons make better decisions. And of course, nowadays when we talk about Digital surgery, of course, arguably the future. The more we can objectively understand about surgery and even, you know, kind of like what decision led to which particular outcome, the more we can help actually digitize and measurably guide surgeons you know, in, a, in a much better way.
1: Thank you for sharing your story and spending your time with us today. Congratulations and good luck.
0: So it was great to hear Hypervision's story, Paul. Let's uh, let's roll on. What what is number two? I'll use my Newmarker's Newmaker's voice. So what is number two on the MedTech Innovator Execution Number board? two. <laughs> that was my that
2: was my best uh, Chris Newmarker imitation. <laughs> um, number two is Intershunt Technologies in uh, Minnesota, creating a proprietary transcatheter system to treat congestive heart failure.
1: The CEO, Harley Sorkin, really is such a professional. Uh, The value proposition and the way Harley communicated how InterShunt can move health forward and help uh, better health outcomes was so impressive. I couldn't be more pleased to introduce Harley Sorkin, CEO of InterShunt and finalist for the MedTech Innovator Execution Award. Harley, welcome to the podcast.
4: Yeah, well, thanks for having me. So the issue that we're working on is heart failure. And a really startling fact about heart failure is we spend more trying to treat heart failure than we do any other disease state. It's the number one expense on our Medicare budget. And yet it's also the leading cause of hospitalization among the elderly, which kind of tells you, one, how complex the disease is, and two, that what we're doing today isn't working. So the majority of these patients are not adequately served by drug therapy. And that's really opened the door to structural or device therapies. Um, And one of the issues that's really important to understand is that even though this heart failure is a heart issue, it's where the heart can no longer pump sufficient blood to meet the body's needs, the issue that really, or the symptom that really affects these patients is pulmonary congestion or shortness of breath. The reason that they end up in the hospital is they can't breathe. And so that's really the issue that if if we feel that if we can address that issue of shortness of breath, that we can really make a meaningful impact here.
1: How is InterShunt attempting to solve that problem or provide a solution to that problem?
4: Yeah. So I mentioned that the door's open to structural or device therapies. And one of the main targets is to decompress the left atrium. So I mentioned that The heart slowly loses its ability to pump enough blood to meet the body's needs in heart failure. And the bottleneck is the left atria. And once that bottleneck, you know, fills with blood and pressurizes, it backs up to the lungs. And that's what causes pulmonary congestion. So the idea is if you can decompress the left atria, you can help solve for this issue of shortness of breath or, you know, really restoring independence for these patients, allow them to continue to live independently, maintain their lifestyle. And so there's a a number of approaches. And the common theme is that they're all trying to take blood, the excess pressure in the left atria and shunt that blood to adjacent structures The thing that's fundamentally different about our approach is all the approaches that have been used so far use permanently implantable stents or hardware, or they fixate the tissue by applying energy and creating scar tissue. And while they're effective and show really promising results in some of these patients in terms of quality of life and the ability to breathe and function, the addition of that hardware to the heart or that creation of scar tissue or that permanent fixation of that tissue has some long-term downsides. So our approach is we're developing a, a septectomy catheter that uses nothing more than a mechanical cutting. And we use a catheter with a minimally invasive procedure we reach in we securely capture cut and remove a small piece of tissue from the interatrial septum allowing that excess pressure on the left side to be relieved onto the right side of the heart where that blood then just recirculates back to the lungs and so we believe that what this does is it's it's the most flexible it's the safest it's the simplest way of decompressing the left atria. And what that really means for the patients is this can be a first line defense for heart failure because they can have this procedure completed early in the process and hopefully prevent some of the downstream needs from the, the more aggressive therapies or more invasive therapies that could be required. But you also leave the door open by leaving that the interatrial septum in its native state that you can continue to access the left side of the heart if you need to, because these patients have a ton of comorbidities or If you had to, you could close it off with an occluder device. So we think that we enable the ability to, with the simplest procedure that's the least scary for these patients because there's nothing left behind and it's most flexible, and also serve the most patients. So we think we can serve both the physicians that need to really tackle this problem as well as the patients who who really need to address this problem. And that's how we think we stand apart from the, the crowd.
1: Harley, thank you very much for taking the time to share your story. And congratulations once again for being an execution award finalist.
0: All right. Well, great job with that, Kayleen. As you said, InterShunt's a a great story and and happy to have them on the podcast. Paul, what what is number three?
2: All right. Number three, again, alphabetically not in any particular order, OptiCite out of Seattle. um, They're manufacturing the first device to measure oxygen levels, both inside cells and in the vasculature in real time. One device that can do it all.
1: Well, you know, Paul, they say people invest in people. And I think in this case, it couldn't be more accurate. I got the pleasure of interviewing the CEO, Lori Arikaki, and uh, just... Her presence and her vision was
5: infectious.
6: Welcome to the podcast, Lori. What healthcare problem are you trying to solve?
5: Well, at Opticite, we're attempting to solve two really important problems. The first is to um, help clinicians avoid organ failure. And the second is to improve health equity with a better pulse oximeter measurement. So I'll, if, if it's okay, I'll tell you about both of them. Millions of people worldwide die of organ failure, and the fact is, critical organs suffer irreversible organ damage when the organ cells lack oxygen. Two of the most common uh, causes for multiple organ failure are sepsis and trauma. Sepsis in particular is a very big problem. It's responsible for 20% of deaths worldwide. It's the number one hospital charge in this country, amounting to about $57 billion of hospital costs. So the problem is that the standard of care currently in emergency departments and ICUs. uh, There's no visibility for clinicians into the amount of oxygen within organ cells. And so what this prevents doctors from doing is recognizing the problem early enough so that they can treat it early enough to avoid organ failure. And moreover, particularly in ICUs, uh, without this visibility into organ oxygenation, There are hours-long, elongated, prolonged cycles of treatment and evaluation, and this is a problem because with critically ill patients, every minute counts. The second problem that we're going to solve is to improve health equity in patient monitoring. Everybody might remember that at the beginning of the pandemic, Black people died at almost twice the rate um, as white people of COVID. And it has since come forward, COVID unmasked this problem that there are inaccuracies in current pulse oximeter devices for dark skinned people. Uh, The FDA is really concerned about it and a recent panel concluded that the inherent racial disparity in pulse oximeters uh, makes um, dark skinned patients at risk for critical conditions.
6: Well, Laura, you are a pro. Um, Will you please describe your solution?
5: Yes, our vital O2 monitor is based on optical spectroscopy. We measure continuous spectra from the visible into the near-infrared region, and uh, we also employ machine learning techniques and algorithms in order to quantify uh, cellular oxygenation. We call our measurement cell O2, and also pulse oximetry so the, the secret to why we can um, account for melanin in the skin is that we, you know, we train our algorithms on a set of data sets from healthy volunteers with a full range of skin tones so that our measurements are inclusive of everyone, regardless of their physical characteristics. The interesting thing about pulse oximeters right now is they measure only two wavelengths. This amount of information is insufficient to account for melanin in the skin. And this is why uh, pulse oximeters have uh, inaccuracies in dark skinned people. But with our full spectrum measurement, and again, our sophisticated machine learning algorithms, we're able to account for melanin in the skin and uh, provide uh, measurements that are accurate in people of all uh, races and skin tones.
6: There's no doubt in my mind why you were chosen as a MedTech Innovator Execution Finalist. Congratulations again.
0: All right, great. Great to hear OptiCite's story. Paul, let's roll on to number four on the Execution Award finalists.
2: Four on the list is Prana Thoracic out of Houston. Uh, They're developing an electrosurgical instrument for single-port excision of lung tissue.
1: Once again, I had the absolute pleasure.
2: Haley's <laughs> <laughs> doing all the work in this
0: episode. I feel like such a slump. All right.
1: <laughs> it was just, I'm being greedy here, Tom. That's the thing is that I really wanted. Uh, so uh, again, I, I, you know, Paul, I want to say something different for each of these CEO and these stories, but I, the commonality here is that they really are the best of the best. And it's hard to choose who could possibly walk home with the execution award. Uh, Joanna Nathan, CEO of Prana I uh, is no exception. Uh, I was captivated from the very beginning, and uh, it's going to be a really tight race. I have no idea who's going to walk away with that award. Good luck.
7: Great, Joanna. Welcome to the podcast. What healthcare problem are you trying to solve? So Thoracic is a Houston-based company dedicated to developing solutions for early intervention in lung cancer. The challenge with lung cancer is that the paradigm of screening, detection, and early intervention that has existed for other major cancers for decades now, such as colon and breast, has so far eluded lung cancer. As a result of that, only 16% of lung cancers are found at an early stage, and the current five-year survival rate is less than 20%. Now that's starting to change, there have been recent updates to lung cancer screening guidelines that have illuminated a path to really improving and shifting outcomes in lung cancer. However, these advances really rely on actually intervening in early lung nodules. We believe that physicians need a new generation of surgical oncology tools to address lung cancer early, and Prana has the missing piece of the puzzle with our new technology, that will help get the right treatment to the right patient at the right time. You mentioned the missing piece of the puzzle. Could you describe that for us? Absolutely. So Prana Thoracics technology is going to make it easier and less invasive to deal with what we envision will be a rapidly growing number of early suspicious lung nodules as lung cancer screening is brought online, both in the U.S. and abroad. Our hope is that by providing a new tool to thoracic surgeons, we can ensure that we drive early intervention and that we do not miss the window of opportunity to intervene for these patients while their disease is still in its earliest stages. Our team consists of an experienced team of surgeons, engineers, and entrepreneurs, and we're all very excited and aligned on this mission to drive a shift in outcomes for lung cancer patients. Great. Well, Joanna, I have to know, what has being a part of the MedTech Innovator program meant to you? Being part of this program has been a really huge deal for our team at Prana Thoracic. Uh, It is our first year of existence as a company. And to be surrounded by a community of peers that are kind of alongside us in the trenches of, of driving MedTech Innovation forward has been a huge help Again, just from that community perspective of of doing that alongside other folks, but also from a shared learnings and shared resources perspective as well. Uh, I'm also really proud that we've been able to make a lot of progress in the short time that we've been in the program. So getting our, our device from prototype to as close to product as possible and really firming up our clinical regulatory strategy. I'm very grateful to all the resources the program poured into us to help enable that. And then to have that recognized through being an execution award finalist on a global stage at the MedTech conference, that is such a huge deal to us.
6: Congratulations again on being an execution award finalist. I right, take care and thanks again.
0: All right, great. Well, it's wonderful to hear a Prana story. Finally, Paul, number five on the uh, the Execution Award finalist list is...
2: All right, last but not least in the Execution Award, we have Sparta Biomedical out of Research Triangle, North Carolina. They're the creator of a truly first-of-its-kind chemically-engineered cartilage platform.
0: Thanks, Paul. Let's play the interview that I conducted with the Deshensir Kanti. He is the CEO and co-founder of Sparta biomedical. Well, Deshant Surakanti, welcome to the podcast.
8: Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here.
0: Very eager to tell uh, Sparta's story. Uh, tell us, what, uh, what healthcare problem are you trying to solve?
8: Sure. So, I think it's fairly well understood that osteoarthritis has been a problem for many years, decades, and it's one that not only afflicts folks near to us uh, within our family and friend circle, but across the country and, and across the globe. So that's the that's the problem at the end of the day we're looking to address.
0: And what is uh, the technology that you're using to hopefully solve this problem?
8: So we've come up with a, a breakthrough device technology known as Ormy. It's a very small device. It's configured like a thumbtack, and it goes in uh, to the area of the, uh, the body uh, the knee joint which as as we all know is is one that takes on heavy load mm-hmm. on a day uh, whether we're doing daily activities or we're uh doing physical um like sporting uh type of activities and over time we get potholes in the road so to speak and the ormy device it actually goes in just like if you were getting your tooth cavity filled at the dentist office it uh, repairs that pothole so that you're back on your feet immediately, can fully weight bear and and get back to doing the things you love to do.
0: Oh, so who is uh, who is delivering this this therapy? Is it a, a surgeon, or is it? I imagine it's an orthopedic surgeon.
8: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the treatment paradigm, you know, you start off with minimally invasive uh, approaches. After you try out um, analgesics, and unfortunately, the local injections they're short lived, and so it's in that surgical treatment paradigm that the ORMI device um, will be um, used in. So this will be implanted by an orthopedic surgeon. And how are we spelling ORMI? O-R-M-I.
0: O-R-M-I. And what's the origin of the technology?
8: So we uh, we were fortunate to uh, get into a partnership with Duke University where the device was <clears throat> invented. And specifically, it's the cartilage mimicking scaffold that the inventor uh, ben wiley came up with where it mimics all of the properties of hyaline cartilage in its healthy form that is to say the tribological profile the slipperiness the compressive and the tensile uh, strength that galene is what we call it is affixed to the titanium base mm-hmm. to create ormi
0: Fantastic. And finally, uh, what sort of uh, financing have you secured so far? I mean, I know, I'm sure winning the contest will help uh, help any sort of fundraising efforts you've, you're, you're intending to undergo. But how well are you capitalized, and what do you see yourself needing in the future?
8: Yeah, so we're you know we're thrilled to to be um, one of the finalists um, by um, nominated by the MedTech Innovator Group. Uh, but we've also you know we've been really fortunate to have very strong investor interest Mm -hmm. had um new investors come more recently along with the prior backers and we just closed an oversubscribed convertible round
0: fantastic all right well we're happy to uh share sparta's story on the podcast good luck uh good luck in the finals
8: appreciate the time tom thank you
0: all right so that wraps up our first group the finalists for the execution award once again paul what will the winner of that uh, of that part of the uh, Medtech innovator program be eligible for or will receive?
2: The winner of the execution award is uh is actually getting two honors. Number 1, they're being recognized as the Virginia Ribsky Memorial Award winner, which is an award that AdvoMed gives out each year for an entrepreneur who is achieving great things. Um they also receive a $25,000 cash prize, non-dilutive, um for with no restrictions, they can spend it on anything that they want. They'll also be profiled in the MedTech Strategist. Fantastic. All right.
0: So before we roll into the finalists, Paul, uh, it's it's only September 29th, uh, but Device Talks Boston is already on my mind. MedTech Innovator has been an important part of the the program for the past two years. I hope you're uh, you're laying up at night wondering what you're going to be doing at uh, at Device Talks Boston on May 1st and 2nd next year.
2: Oh yeah, I'm up every night thinking about it. <laughs> um, so so Device Talk, no Device Talks Boston. Uh, all kidding aside, is a phenomenal event. Um, We've been thrilled to be part of it for the last two years. Can't wait to do it again in 2024. Um, We did something last year that I really enjoyed and was incredibly well-received, which we uh, held a first-of-its-kind investor competition, so focused on uh, showing some of these companies to investors Um, and specifically our graduates. It's the first time we did this. We called it the all-stars. I think Mm. you coined it that, Tom, and we we love that term. So these are all-stars of MedTech Innovator. And what we do is we go to our companies and we say, which of you are currently raising capital? And, of course, um, with our 500 graduates last year, um, about – 50 raised their hands and said, we are. Um, And we said, actively raising capital has to be right now um, or or have to be raising capital during the device talks window um, when the conference is held. And then we selected 21 of them to present to, I think it actually turned to be 22. I think we snuck one more in. 22 companies that got to present to the device talks audience um, and specifically strategics and investors were our target, um, people who uh, might want to invest in that company. Um, This is a really unique opportunity because... You know, you may not realize it, but a lot of the investors out there—and there are literally thousands—who invest in the med tech space, despite what people think. We know who they are. We have a list of every single company that's invested in our portfolio, and it's thousands of investors. Um, and those thousands of investors generally have no idea when companies are raising capital. They just happen to bump into them somewhere and say, "Oh, you're raising capital," um, and uh, and then maybe maybe they write a check. Um, so these these investor forums at Device Talks, um, Boston will feature companies that we have selected best of the best kinds of companies that are currently raising capital um, to be in front of the audience and tell their story.
0: That's great. And in May, we had uh, the the last two weeks before you had said, Tom, I've got all these VCs. It'd be great to have a panel. I said, Paul, I've got an empty room. I said, let's have a panel. And we had a pop-up venture capital panel, which I thought was, it was the second, it was the afternoon of the second day and it was still full, jam-packed full of fun and excitement. So maybe we'll be a little less pop-up this time around and uh, actually plan for that one. What do you think?
2: Right, I love that. Yeah, that po- that panel was a big success. We should definitely do more of that. And I would say, as you, as I think you and others pointed out, um, we really did have a capacity problem yeah. last year in that room. I mean, that was still a pretty big room. You, you know, it was, it was designed, I think, for like 150 people or something. And we said, okay, you know, I I think that's probably, that'll probably be a good size room. We don't want it to be too empty. You know, maybe, you know, if we made the room too big, people won't be in there. And there were literally people in the hallway standing outside, trying to peek through the door. And I mean, a lot of people standing in the hallway, um, trying to peek in, there wasn't one seat. I literally looked through the room and I was like, "There's nowhere to sit in this room." Um, it wasn't just when people say, "Oh, standing room," it was literally standing room only. <laughs> so I think we're we're looking at expanding the size of the room for this year um, or 2024 because there was clearly a lot of interest in that venture panel. There was clearly a lot of interest in our startups. It was that way through the whole the whole showcase and through the venture panel. So uh, yeah, uh, there's a lot of interest. If you missed it last year come this year, come 2024. If you were there in 2023, come again. Um, it's going to be all new companies uh, and uh, and you will really enjoy it. And yes, the pop-up venture panel, we will we'll double down on that and do even more. Absolutely. All
0: right, Paul Grant, well, let us move into the finalist round. Uh, just for a bit of a programming note for folks, Kayleen Brown had a drop off the call, but uh, she's dealing with something very important. But uh, Paul and I are going to finish strong and, uh, and introduce the the next five companies, the five finalists. Paul, before we get into that, uh, tell us again how the process works. There are judges, but they don't make the decision. Who, who are the judges and, and what's going to happen uh, at AdvaMed?
2: Absolutely. So the AdvaMed conference, the MedTech conference is really fantastic for us and for our companies because it's literally the senior leadership of the, of the MedTech industry is there in the room. Uh, from the AdvoMed board members or the CEOs of all these, these major companies to uh, all the people that work everywhere in our great industry to make these things happen. There's thousands of them in the room voting to pick the winners in this company, in this competition. So it is not the judges. We have four judges who, um, who serve the role much like uh much like a uh, American idol or the voice mm-hmm. or any of those things you've got judges and coaches and that's what they're there to do. They're there to ask questions Um, and move, uh, move the audience hopefully to a decision. So we'll have four judges this year up on our stage. We've got Virginia Giddings, who's the Senior Director of Exploration Advanced Technology for Edwards Life Sciences. Uh, We've got Townsend Goddard, who's the Senior Vice President, Global Head of Business Development for Olympus. Uh, We've got Stephanie Clock, who's the Vice President of Research and Development for Beck and Dickinson. And we've got Mirren Mandalia, who's the Senior Director of Business Development for J&J MedTech. Uh, And they're there to ask questions after the presentation's to uh, to drill into these things, uh, but again, to help these companies really tell their stories so that the audience can make an informed decision.
0: And and the the ultimate judge though is
2: the audience. The you, audience. <laughs> uh, you'll be the, you'll be there in the audience. That's right. Yeah, and no, we'll have, as I said, thousands of people yep. in the room. All of whom on their cell phones after they hear these pitches will vote for the winner who we will walk out and hand a check to in real time. Um, this is not something where we'll mail in the votes later or this is happens in real time. Literally everybody takes out their phone and places their vote for their favorite company. Um, and first place will win, will win $350,000. Um, the other four finalists will get a check for $25,000. And that is not a participation trophy. That is a hard-earned and well-deserved prize. So each final will receive at least $25,000. So the five companies we're going to talk about now, all of them will be winning at least $25,000 on October 10th.
0: All right, Paul, Well, let's roll into the five companies that are in the finals for the early stage competition at MedTech Innovator. And again, we're going alphabetically. The first
2: is... First company is Fingy 3D from Morgantown, West Virginia. So they're developing a line of on-demand custom prosthetic fingers that you literally order with your cell phone and have two weeks later.
0: Yes, I had the chance to interview CEO and founder, Dr. Tom McClellan. Let's, uh, let's hear more about Fingy 3D. Well, Tom McClellan, welcome to the podcast.
9: Thank you so much, Tom. Great to be here. Thank you.
0: Excited to learn more about Fingi 3 d What uh, problem in healthcare are you trying to solve?
9: Yeah, Tom, so 6 million, uh, approximately 6 million people in the U.S. have an amputated finger of some sort, uh, about forty-five to 50,000 new ones per year. And basically it affects people's activity of daily living. So if you're missing a finger digit, you lose uh, length to your hand, you lose the ability to stabilize objects. Sometimes you lose strength if it's on the owner's side of the hand. And what we found out through some of my patients who have got off their own fingers is finger prosthetics are expensive. Some of them are over $5,000 per finger and they're difficult to get to. Meaning I live in a rural area, we're from Morgantown, West Virginia. And if we have a miner or someone who works in the oil and gas field, they, they lose their finger. They have to take time off of work and they may de- need to drive to Pittsburgh or Columbus or Charlotte, which is many hours away. And many times they go for multiple visits. So this is both inaccessible for people with, with have, uh, limitations of travel as well mm-hmm. as unaffordable for the majority of Americans.
0: So what is the technology that you've developed to, uh, to solve this problem?
9: Yeah. So so by going to fingy3d.com, you can uh, basically buy a prosthetic finger for $299 for the very simplest ones and $399 for the more complex ones. Wow. But the way in which we solve this problem is through an application on your phone. You simply take a picture of your amputated finger. Okay. Uh, we currently, we're using an engineer, but we're training an AI software to take all the measurements of your finger. And then that's transferred to our CAD software where we build a functional prosthetic finger that's then 3D printed out of nylon, which is extremely durable. You can run your car over it and it's mailed to your house within a couple of weeks. So we believe that eventually this process will be completely hands-off of any engineering. You'll mm-hmm. just take a picture of your finger. AI will build and design it all and it's shipped to your house. Wow! So we, we believe that's terribly disrupting to the market because people, yes, uh, the, the the ones that are made by these companies that are $5,000 are more elegant. They're built out of titanium and carbon fiber. And I, I'm sure that you can beat them with a hammer and, and and they would be wonderful. However, no one can get to them and they can't afford them. And so people just don't use them. And mm-hmm. what we found is when they slide on the thingy, they're like, wow, I feel like I have my finger back. Children can buy them as they as they grow because obviously their fingers change. So people have really enjoyed them.
0: So how what, what sort of functions does the Fingy 3D finger have?
9: Yeah, so uh, you, you can go to our website, Fingy3D.com, and see what sort of actions we have. But uh, very interestingly, so you, you have two tendons that insert on your finger, your FDS, which inserts here, and your, your I'm sorry, FDP, which inserts here, and FDS, which inserts here, mm-hmm. which allows you to bend the tip in this finger here. So uh, the, our simplest Fingy will restore this motion so that when you bend your fingers down into your palm, you can actually close that, which is really key. A lot of people stabilize their iPhone. We didn't realize this was a problem, but stabilization of your iPhone is really important for various things. We also have one where you can uh, buddy tape. If you've ever hurt your fingers in basketball and you buddy tape them together, mm-hmm. we've got a patented design where we attach it to your finger next door so you can get bulk motion. And now we have what's called the buddy cascade. So now we're fixing Three ampu- or these two amputation fingers all the way across. We have a thumb bead, So we have a distant one and we have one that's proximal, that's secured to your wrist, which is a, a really incredible because without the thumb, we can't really interact with the environment at all. So we're solving multiple problems and really improving overall function of the hand.
0: And what sort of uh, clinical approval is necessary?
9: It's a class one device where FDA registered, so we are out on the market already. We've built them in about 10 different states. Uh, we're working on one in Australia currently. She found us on Instagram and we're working to, to solve that issue as well. But anywhere where we have this high quality 3D printer, which is uh, not your standard printer, it's an expensive printer. But if we have access to those, literally the STL file can be sent anywhere in the world. So uh, you know, we're really excited about the global reach that this is going to have very quickly and the scalability of it.
0: And finally, where are you with capitalization? Do you, do you require more capital? Have you raised some capital?
9: We've not raised any capital. We're completely self-funded. Uh, we, we built it all ourselves. We're going out for a raise currently. We're in the MTI uh, uh, MedTech Accelerator final, which is 350 grand of non-dilutive capital, which would be awesome. Uh, we have, I, I personally think that that'll be transformative to the company because we can really blow it up with that kind of capital. We have had a $100,000 Benetton Foundation grant to help us build out some infrastructure, but that's all the money we've raised or used. Great.
0: Well, fantastic. Great stuff. Thank you for uh, sharing the story of Fingy3D
9: on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure to be here. appreciate it
0: alright Wolfingy well, three D uh, is a very very cool company one, one that we don't really hear a lot about. You don't hear we haven't really talked a lot about amputations and things like that. So definitely a, a new kind of company I think for for MedTech innovator. What's uh, what's number f- two or number four? I guess it was going in countdown mode. But what's not, what's our second alphabetically listed finalist for this uh, this part of the MedTech innovator competition?
2: Our second company IFPX. From Irvine, California, um, they're a maker of a patient monitoring system that directly measures fluid buildup, you know, so a huge problem they're able to do um, in an incredibly impactful way.
0: Excellent. And I had the chance to speak with Amanda French. She is CEO and uh, IFPX actually comes out of NXT Biomedical, which is a very cool accelerator slash incubator. So let's hear from Amanda French of IF px well amanda french welcome to the podcast
10: thank you for having me
0: so let's uh let's find out about ifpx what problem is ifpx trying to solve
10: At IFPX, we are focused on improving the management of heart failure. Specifically for patients with heart failure, there is a massive issue for repeat hospitalizations and even increased mortality due to fluid overload. And yet today, clinicians really don't have a way to measure fluid buildup in patients, making the management quite challenging.
0: Uh, And how is IFPX going to solve this problem?
10: At IFPX, we've invented the first and only patient monitor that directly monitors congestion. And so the product is a subcutaneous implant that is able to directly track changes in the interstitial space by monitoring interstitial fluid pressure. And we've been able to show that we can do this in animals on a chronic basis. And not only that, we've also shown that interstitial fluid pressure is directly related to core hemodynamic parameters. And so our vision is that we will be able to leverage this data alongside other relevant information that we can gather from the device in order to hopefully support a more proactive treatment for patients with heart failure.
0: Interesting. What is the, uh, the origin of your technology?
10: So the technology is actually inspired by this concept called the Guyton capsule. There's a a physician who back in the 70s established that you can create a fluid pocket and use that in order to track interstitial pressure. And he proved that interstitial pressure is very relevant clinically. Uh, the only issue historically is that typically that fluid pocket only lasts for several weeks. And so the really core insight with the invention that propels our technology is the ability to actually preserve the fluid pocket long term mm-hmm. in order to continue tracking interstitial fluid pressure. So it's really an invention that's inspired both by uh clinical history and well-established literature alongside a deep understanding of the unmet need for patients and clinicians.
0: And what is uh, your clinical pathway look like?
10: We anticipate uh, clinically being a de novo device. We are currently focused on uh, preparing for our first in human pilot, and then ultimately would would work through uh, the US regulatory pathway to become available to patients here.
0: And final question, I know you you started in the uh, NXT biomedical, uh, I don't know if we want to call it accelerator or, or incubator or how how NXT defines itself, but uh, what are the future plans for the company? Are you spinning out entirely, or have you done so already?
10: Yeah, so um, we are currently a project within the NXT Biomedical Incubator, which is formed by a team of uh, Edwards colleagues I met over a decade ago. Um, in conjunction with our financing, we are working towards spinning out and forming an independent company in advance of our first human pilot.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you, Amanda French, for uh, joining us on the podcast.
10: Yeah, thank you again for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right, Paul, let's roll, roll into our our third finalist. Uh, who is next?
2: Our third finalist is Narava from West Lafayette, Indiana. So this is a company that's developing wearables to track epilepsy and importantly to tackle a huge problem, which is sudden death. Um, that is a, is a silent killer and is something that we don't have a good way of presenting and they're going to do it.
0: Excellent. Well, I got to speak with the co-founders, Jay Shah and Vivek Ganesh, who, yes, they're both uh, both of Purdue. So my son, of course, is there. So I had a chance to ask them for some rec- uh, restaurant recommendations and such because we're going out next week. So uh, let's hear from uh, Vivek Ganesh and Jay Shah of Naraba. Well, Jay Shah and Vivek Ganesh, welcome to the podcast.
11: Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it.
0: So Vivek, tell me, what problem is Narava trying to solve?
12: Of course. Uh, so, you know, sudden unexpected death and epilepsy or SUDEP kills about 4,000 Americans every year. Um, 35% of the epilepsy population do not respond to anti-seizure medications, and SUDEP is the leading cause of death in this group. There's currently no device on the market that effectively monitors for SUDEP risk. And so, Nurava is building on our discovery of a potential mechanism of action behind SUDEP. And so, we're developing wearable devices that detect seizures cardiorespiratory dysfunctions, and SUDEP risk, and then we alert caregivers to intervene, potentially saving thousands of lives.
0: That's great. Jay, can you tell us a a bit more about the technology that's allowing you to do this?
11: Yeah, absolutely. So our device is a patent-pending system, but it consists of a neck and an arm wearable that wirelessly monitor key physiological signals associated with uh, these sudden death events. So that includes seizures, as well as cardiac and respiratory activity. So we're designing our wearables to be worn at night while patients are asleep, uh, since that's when most cases of SUDEP actually occur. And so what would happen is both wearables, they're collecting this physiological data, and they communicate with a smartphone app via Bluetooth. On our app is where our novel detection algorithm resides, and we can alert a caregiver off of um, you know, of these life-threatening situations so that they can provide life-saving intervention. Mm. Some of these interventions include CPR, which has been shown to be 100% successful if administered in a timely manner. There's also rescue medications, um, arousal, and kind of just lifting the patient up, touching them, talking to them. In addition, the data we're capturing can also help physicians um, get a better understanding of these patients' seizure profiles and their a holistic representation of their epilepsy. So with the data that we, we, we can capture, uh, we can also help these physicians mitigate the risk of SUDEP in the long term as well. So both in the immediate emergency situation as well as in the long term, our device can provide value and benefit uh, to these patients.
0: And Vivek, I may have missed this, but what, what exactly are you measuring or 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 what signals are, are you picking up?
12: Right. So um, SUDEP occurs um, because of a seizure and a seizure-induced cardiorespiratory collapse. That's pretty well established in literature and what we have found through our research as well. And so what we monitor with our arm wearable is motion and motor activity that is indicative of a seizure. Uh, And so that's what we pick up there. And then with our neck wearable worn on the neck of the patient, we actually monitor raw cardiac and respiratory signals so that any dysfunctions in those signals we can identify and then alert. So this way, it's a very multimodal approach, uh, monitoring all of the independent signals uh, to make sure we can capture these events.
0: That's great. And what sort of clinical pathway are you looking
12: at? So um, we've developed a stepwise approach. You know, we did a pre-sub with the FDA a couple years ago. Um, it's essentially a five ten K that we're going after. We're a class two medical device, uh, so it's two independent approvals. Where you know, a class two uh, a five ten K for the arm wearable uh, for seizure detection, and then a five ten K for the neck wearable for cardiorespiratory monitoring.
0: Great. And final question, quickly, just a little bit on the origin of the technology. Where where did it come from, and what does your financing plans look like how how is the the creation and the spinning out of the company going
12: Absolutely. So you know, Jay and I, we met uh, in grad school when we both joined Purdue uh, to do our PhDs. Uh, The lab that we joined was specifically doing epilepsy research. So that's how we got into the space. Um, We've been doing epilepsy research for over a decade. And that's when we discovered that potential mechanism of action behind SUDEP, which was really the genesis for us to then found Nurava about four years ago now, so the summer of 2019. We're a seed stage company. We're excited that we recently just oversubscribed on our $2 million round, uh, closing on 2.1. got strategic investors as well. Um, you know, we've completed the development of our prototype system. We've actually conducted um, usability studies already with the with the devices. We've got some really exciting clinical data and algorithm performance. And so right now we're actually ramping up and gearing up for our FDA submission. Our goal is to launch the product in 2025.
0: Fantastic. All right. Well, it's a, a great story. Thanks for uh, for sharing it on the podcast.
12: Absolutely. Cool. Thanks a lot, Tom. Thanks, Tom.
0: All right. Well, that is Narava's story. Paul, let's roll on to our next finalist.
2: So our next company up, Tom, is Neurotex from the United Kingdom. And they're developing a silk-based surgical nerve repair technology. Um, it's biodegradable, something that, you know, what they they say, you know, after and after a little while, it's just you. That's all that's left. Um, that's- and uh, really amazing for nerve repair.
0: Yeah, no, very cool company. I had a chance to speak with the CEO, Dr. Alex Woods. And uh, yeah, another, uh, I, I I don't know how many unique companies you can have in one round, but this is another unique approach to uh the solving a very important uh, problem in healthcare. So we'll hear from Alex Woods, CEO of Neurotex. One programming note, uh, Alex Woods' audio isn't the best, uh, my fault. So uh, you can hear every word and it's a great story. So uh, just wanted to uh, let you know what happened. All right. Enjoy uh, this visit with Neurotex. Well, Alex Woods, thank you for joining us on the podcast.
13: No, great to be here, and uh, yeah, glad to be able to talk.
0: So let's, uh, let's learn. What, what, Alex, what healthcare problem are you trying to solve?
13: Yeah, great. Thank you for the question. So we are at Neurotex are so focusing on trying to treat peripheral nerve injuries. And if, just trying to explain what that is. Nerves, everything outside of your spinal cord or brain, are a bit like telephone wires. Essentially, they're tubes that carry information on little wires inside of them. And you've never woken up in the middle of the night and you've had a bit of a numb hand and you've been able to shake that off. That's a type of nerve injury that's bruising to the nerve but if you fall off a motorbike and that nerve gets cut the nerves try to regenerate but they can't on their own they have to have surgery otherwise they you lose sensation in your limbs you can't move the muscles and obviously um, for a large number of patients over two million every year this happens through trauma for the most part or through surgeries for cancer and that leads to lifelong disability in being unable to move your arms or legs causes huge amounts of problems and this is a problem for young so it starts in your 30s it's not just something that happens later on in life the problem we have is with the surgeries we offer the gold standard treatment is something called autografting we sacrifice another nerve from somewhere else in your body to have to move it into the into the nerve that's been damaged because we'll say look having a numb foot that's less bad than not being able to move your thumb right the, the, the big problem is that has a 100 morbidity so we are causing you more harm and worse than that, the outcomes aren't that good. So beyond about four or five centimeters where those nerve gap ends get pulled apart, the, the, the success rate is only about four to 50 to 60%. And on top of that, 27% of patients get further problems from their donor site. So they get painful neuromas or infections. It causes a lot of problems. So what uh, what is the
0: solution Neurotex is providing?
13: So here in Neurotex, we're a combination of surgeons and zoologists, and we exploit the crazy regenerative properties of silk. Which I know have been quite popular and uh, people are using them in all sorts of clever ways but essentially we use the silk that from all of your clothes to make a silk tube that's flexible it can be gamma radiated so we avoid all the problems with ethylene oxide that are growing concern and it's really cheap and easy to make but our key secret sauce here is we use luminal silk so we put silk down the middle of our fibers and that comes from spiders or moths and tissue human tissue loves growing across silk it's like the, the nerve axons that grow along like a rose trellis And that seems to be the secret ingredient that allows nerve gaps, nerves to regenerate over huge gaps. We've yet to find a maximum distance that we can't bridge with silk. And this is really opening up the opportunity to repair nerve injuries on day one with a simple operation from any specialty surgeon. So whether you're an orthopedic surgeon like me or a plastic surgeon or a maxillofacial surgeon or a breast surgeon, you can put a plug and play device straight into your nerve injury and the patient starts recovering straight away. And even more exciting is it all resolves and disappears over time. So once all that silk is dissolved, your nerves are regenerated. you're left with nothing but yourself, and you've avoided all of those painful costs of a second operation, the expensive theater time, the harmful procedure that you otherwise would have had to have beforehand.
0: So where are you uh, in in product development?
13: So we've been in a number of large preclinical trials across Europe and in the UK, um, we've been able to demonstrate these large gap repairs, and we've got collaborators in Germany who've already managed to show that this is effective and safe in humans. So we are now just working through the process of going into our funding rounds to set out the, the quality manufacturing process to then do our pivotal trial and first in human study in the next couple of years and bring this to patients, uh, so hopefully as soon as possible.
0: And finally, what was the uh, origin of the technology? How did you come to bring silk into, the, into a metal device company?
13: Uh, so my original background before I became a doctor and then a surgeon uh, was a PhD in zoology working on uh, insects and transgenics. And my <laughs> co Chris Bolrath, is a mastermind of silk, uh, much like uh, David Kaplan in the US. And uh, really it was, you know, there was no big aha eureka moment. It was one of those situations where when you see silk and how so many different opportunities for it to be used in a medical um role and how it can be expanded and then seeing that in my day job as a trauma surgeon seeing all of these poor patients coming through saying look their options are so limited uh it really just came together and we had some old ip and some old ideas that came together and we've just really been hashing that out and developing it over the last few years to make it something that's actually viable to get into patients great
0: well it's interesting technology and uh really really fascinating company thanks for joining us on the podcast thank you very much All right. Great to hear from uh, Neurotechs. Paul, let's hear from our final finalist.
2: All right. Our final finalist is Stroke DX from Yorba Linda, California. Uh, They're making a portable stroke diagnosis technology. Um, We've seen a whole bunch of companies like this in the finals at MedTech Innovator over the years and other places. um, And these guys are doing something unique, I can tell you for sure.
0: Well, I didn't have a chance to speak with the co founders of Stroke DX, but Kayleen Brown spoke with Alex Bellatori and Shane Sharastani of Stroke DX. Let's listen to their story.
6: Alex, Shane, welcome to the podcast.
14: Thank you for having us.
6: It's really my pleasure. Let's start with the big picture. What healthcare problem are you trying to solve? Alex, would you share?
14: Certainly. So, we are trying to solve the everlasting problem of stroke in, across the globe. Um, the unfortunate reality is, for the past two decades, we haven't been able to put a dent in stroke outcomes and the management of stroke patients. And, you know, the, the unfortunate reality is that today, 3,300 Americans are going to suffer from a stroke. A third are going to die from it, and another third are going to be left permanently disabled from it. And the reason for this shocking statistics is due to the fact that we currently rely on large, multi-million dollar machines that aren't at every hospital to give that objective assessment to dictate the patient's care. And so we've come up with a solution that enables rapid, portable, low-cost, and non-invasive assessment to give you that critical objective information about the patient's brain in just a couple of minutes.
6: So from what I understand, the solution is quite innovative. Can you share more about your discovery, Shade?
15: Yeah, of course. Um, As a MD-PhD student in the USC Caltech program, I spent the first two years in medical school where I learned a lot about stroke patients and the care they receive and the unfortunate poor outcomes. And then when I went over to Caltech to do my PhD, I learned about these cool sensors called non-destructive testing sensors that they use in aerospace to look for cracks in airplane wings. And I thought it would be cool to combine a sensor like that with medicine. And I've always been passionate about the brain. So I started doing some experiments on some skull models. And I realized that these sensors work a lot like metal detectors. And in the head, you have blood, which is very ionic. Uh, It has iron and these charged proteins that make it similar to a metal, quote unquote. So... In stroke, you have two pathologies, a hemorrhage in which you're bleeding into the brain and an ischemic stroke where you're stopping blood flow. And one has too much blood, one has too little. And we can use these sensors to quickly, as a point of care device, tell if there's a difference in the patient's brain compared to big, bulky equipment like a CT or an MRI, which is a current standard of care uh, with the hopeful possibilities that we can make stroke care more efficient and more directed for patients because time is brain.
6: What does being chosen as a MedTech Innovator finalist mean to the two of you?
14: It it means the world to us, honestly. This, This program has been the most impactful thing that we've done this entire year. It's really honed our focus through the individuals at MedTech Innovator, through the incredible mentors we were partnered with, over the past several months, as well as the cohort companies we we're able to learn from and be inspired by. Um, so it's single-handedly been the most important thing and to be recognized as a finalist is incredibly exciting for us. And we're, we're really excited to be able to share the stage with some other incredible companies and, um, show the AdviMed conference, um, and share our mission and, and show what we can do in the, in the coming years.
15: Yeah. And I totally agree. I want to echo what Alex is saying. Uh, super thankful for the MTI leadership, our mentors, the people we've met and the cohort companies, especially because they're going to change how medicine is provided to, to people all around the world. And thank you again for having us on this podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure.
6: Well, thank you gentlemen and have a great rest of your day and congratulations. All right. Take care guys.
14: Excellent. Thank you so much. All right, Paul,
0: that, uh, that concludes our, uh, review. Of all the finalists for both uh both categories of contests that'll be happening. What's the date again at uh at the so to This conference? is gonna be
2: October tenth at the MedTech Conference in Anaheim. So that's coming up soon. Um, if you're an investor, by the way, they do have a free code, a free registration. You just go through their registration process and choose investor. It'll zero out your cost. But somebody at Admed will have to review that and approve you. Um, so that's an opportunity if you're an investor to come uh, for free. And uh, in general, we're all going to be there. We'll have all 61 companies from this year's MedTech Innovator Cohort. They'll all be there showcasing throughout the conference on the 9th, 10th, and 11th of October. But we'll look forward to seeing you guys, especially on Tuesday, in both this Execution Award competition and our finals. Um, Anyone who's even in the exhibit hall pass gets to come to the finals competition as well. So you don't even have to have a full conference registration, although, of course, I recommend you get one. But if you just get an Exhibit hall pass, you can come to the finals 4 p.m. on the 10th of October.
0: And I know uh, Sean Hooley, our associate editor of Mass Device, I believe will be out there covering the conference. So I'm sure he'll be sitting in on, on this presentation. And then he's going to make the trek up the Pacific coast to uh, Santa Clara, where he'll be uh, helping out and playing a huge role at Device Talks West.
2: Device Talks West. Which
0: is happening on October 18th and 19th. If anyone's wondering, this is why MedTech Innovator is not putting on a show at Device Talks West because it was so close to their grand finale. Uh, no, no one wanted to torture their poor, these poor people. They're very nice. so uh,
2: They so are giving, very nice. We'll we're have giving least, them a
0: week off at least, yeah, yes.
2: We'll have at least one member of our team there. Um, Diane Bowie will be there. But we will not be able to do a full MedTech Innovator uh, extravaganza at Device Talks West this year because, as you said, we're going to be barely recovering from <laughs> having been uh, three days VATMed Plus, on the 12th, we have our Biotools Innovator finals and capstone event literally the next day after we, after VATMed down in uh, La Jolla. So uh, it's going to be a very busy week. That's another whole cohort of companies and, uh, and all these things that we're talking about. So yeah, no rest for the weary.
0: All right, terrific. Well, so MedTech Innovator, though, will be at Device Talks Boston. We'll start having our conversations as to how and where they'll participate, but it's going to be bigger than last year for sure. And uh, we really enjoy working with you folks. So uh, you to get those conversations started.
2: Yeah, thanks, Tom. We love we love working with you. We love device talks. Our companies have said great things about it. That's why we're so excited to partner with you again. Um, and we really appreciate your featuring all of our finalists here. It makes such a difference for these companies to get this exposure. Um, they are, without question, the future of the medtech industry. You know, as I said earlier, um some of these major strategics will tell you all their acquisitions led ultimately to the products they have today mm. um and uh and that means that these companies are next up on the list so get to know them and uh, I appreciate you you giving them some uh, some air time.
0: fantastic absolutely and uh, alright we'll we'll wrap things up folks uh Please uh, subscribe to the Device Talks podcast networks and get future episodes of Device Talks Weekly, Abbott Talks, Boston Scientific Talks, Intuitive Talks, and Striker Talks. And we'll have more talks coming down the way. Uh, please share this episode on your social media channel so we can give these great companies as much publicity as possible. And of course, find me on LinkedIn, Tom S A L E M I. You can find Chris Newmarker there as well. Chris, as in a new marker, he's the executive editor of Mass Devices. You can find Kayleen Brown is there as well. She's managing editor of Device Talks. So uh, please do share this podcast and connect with us. And if you are not sharing, shame on you, but please still do connect with us. We'd love to be part of your networks. And uh, Paul, where can folks find you on social media land? Or LinkedIn, can, or wherever you you're
2: can, at. You can find me mainly these days on LinkedIn. Yeah, um, that's the that's my main home now on the social media cir- circuit. So uh, yeah, you just look up Paul Grand, uh, MedTech innovator, and you'll find me on LinkedIn pretty easily. I'm happy to connect with you um, if I actually know you. So at least <laughs> at least send me a message and tell me. Even if you said, "Hey, I heard you on the Device Talks podcast," at least. Then it sounds like you're not just one of those people saying like, "Hi, uh, you look like somebody that is worth connecting with on my network, and uh, and so let's connect." Don't do that. But do um, <laughs> please do reach out from reach out to me, and of course, like, follow, and subscribe there to Device go. Talks. Um, uh, as a uh, diehard listener, I'll tell you this is the best podcast around.
0: Oh, thank you, sir, and uh, folks. I hope you'll join us at Device Talks West. It's happening October 18th and 19th at the Santa Clara Convention Center. Go to uh, devicetalks.com to see the agenda of the speaker list to register. And when you do register, use the code DTW25 to save 25% off the price of admission, which is already incredibly low. But we're just givers here at Device Talks, Paul. We give and we give and we give.
2: You do, and uh, <laughs> and we're happy to receive your your wonderful givings. So thank you, Tom.
0: It's it's a mutually beneficial relationship. Happy to have your help again with Device Talks Boston next year. Okay, we'll let these folks go. This has been a long episode. Congratulations to all the finalists, and uh, good luck in the uh, in the competition.